Moncrief on News Talk. Once again, uh, we're going to chat with uh, Jonathan DeBurka Butler, who's bringing us stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are things? Uh, and uh, Canada, we're going to first, and it's kind of an airline related story, a <laughs> bit of a theme uh, going on today. And uh, so uh, this customer was misled by a chatbot in, in what way? Yeah, so this is uh, a man by the name of Jake Moffat, who back in 2022 contacted Air Canada um, to find out which documents he would need in order to get a benefit from bereavement, all right? So so basically okay. he had to buy a plane ticket to travel to and from Toronto because a family member had died. I have no idea who the family member was. And he went online. Obviously he'd been, you know, told in a few days so the, the tickets were relatively expensive, I imagine. Uh, he went online to buy the ticket and before he went to buy the ticket, he, he, he asked this chatbot, okay, what's the story with uh, any reductions that I might get you to bereavement, okay, because apparently that's a thing. Mm. And the chatbot came back to him and basically said, you can apply for a refund within 90 days of the date of your ticket uh, being issued and you complete a form online and everything will be hunky-dory and you'll get your discount. So that was fine. Absolutely no problem. So he went on the trip, went to the funeral, then he came back and he tried to apply uh, for this discount, but the airline came back to him and basically said that you couldn't apply for the bereavement rates because you had completed your travel. And they went to the bereavement section. They said, look at the bereavement section of our website, which states that this is the case. Mm. And he said, OK, that's fine. Uh, but I have a screenshot here, which was very clever of him, yes. of the chatbot. Uh, which told me that I could get a refund within 90 days, you know, if, if, if I applied mm. within 90 days. And there was nothing about the travel being completed yeah. or anything like that. Um, and they said, OK, well, sorry about that. And we'll change the text on the chatbot, whatever way that's done. But you're not getting a refund. And he said, well, sod that. I'm going to sue you. And that's exactly what he's done. So he took it to a tribunal in Canada. And the airline company basically tried to contest that the chatbot was a separate legal entity. <laughs> now, the tribunal judge was having none of that, right? Yeah. The tribunal judge basically came back to them, and I'll give the quote if I may, and said, while a chatbot has an, in, has an interactive component, it is still just a part of Air Canada's website. It should be obvious to Air Canada that it is responsible for all the information on its website. It makes no difference whether that information comes from a static page or a chatbot, okay? And they said, in reply to that, Air Canada said, look, the correct information was there under the bereavement section uh, of our website. And the, the head of the tribunal said there was no reason for Mr. Moffat to go there. He he wasn't to know that it was correct on your website. Yeah. But it wasn't correct in the chatbot. Two things are the same. You need to cough up the money here. And that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. Chatbots, you see, that's a, yeah. that's a thing. Because it was a story... Not a couple of months ago, where some guy was having off a guy in England was having awful difficulties with some a delivery from one of the delivery companies. I yeah. forget which one, but he but he was interacting with the chatbot all the time, and then he started asking the chatbot to write poems for him, and the chatbot complied, and then he got the chatbot to write a poem and admit that the particular delivery company was the worst in the world. Uh, which he then, you know, uh, liberally screenshotted and sent to the company Wonderful. in question, uh, much to their embarrassment. Uh, right, the US we're going to go to uh, next. And uh, this is, a, well, this is a case ostensibly, I suppose, about hair and appearance at mm. school, but perhaps as a, a racial undertone. To this. It, it's, it's about race, really. Yeah. It really is about race. This is um, in Texas, in the United States, obviously, and it involves Barbers Hill Independent School District, which I think is in Houston, 
and a young man by the name of Daryl George, who is just 18 years of age. Now, last August, August Daryl George was suspended from his school. Um, now, this was after a few uh, sort of disciplinary measures had been meted out to him, okay, but he was suspended. And mm. the reason he was suspended was because he had violated the district, the school and the school district's dress code, right? So its dress code says that uh, hair cannot be uh, worn below the top of a t-shirt collar, below the eyebrows or below the earlobes when let down. All right. All right. And this gentleman, Daryl George, only 18, as I said, has big, long dreadlocks, OK, which he says is part of his culture. And that's absolutely fine. Now, um, when he was suspended, his family obviously weren't particularly happy with that. So they decided that they would take a case against the school district, right? And there was a law that they they thought they were able to use in this, insta- in this uh, instance. It's called the Crown Act, right? So the Crown Act was brought in last year and it was a law that was designed to sort of stop race-based discrimination against, you know, people based on their hairstyle, right? Mm. So they brought this case anyway and at the same time the school came back and they filed a lawsuit and they said, okay, well, we want you to, we want the judge to settle this matter once and for all. And the judge on Thursday did settle the matter in favour of the independent uh, school district, right? So they found in favour of the school district and said that they didn't discriminate against this young man, Daryl George, uh, or anything to do with his hair. And that's because there was a loophole in this law which didn't refer to the specific length of hair. Right. Okay. And and as far as the school board was concerned, it was the length that was the issue. It was the length that was the issue. And they, they specifically said that uh, the superintendent defended the decision saying that the Crown Act did not mention hair length specifically. The judge agreed with that. But I think it might, I don't know, it might be one of these cases where the judge is basically looking at the law and going, legislators, you've made a mess of this. Yeah. You need yeah. to go back and get this right and then come back to me again. Now he, Daryl George, who's still suspended, he said, and his lawyers have said that they're going to appeal this uh, and they'll see how it goes. Um, so they'll have to go up the, the ladder, maybe end up in federal courts. This has happened before. Mm. In fact, this particular school district has ended up in a federal court before where two uh, teenagers back in 2020, I think it was, were suspended and they actually won the case. Um, so right. it's and interesting. Is the Crown Act a federal law? I, you know, it's not. It's a, it's a great question. It's a state law, yeah. but there is a version of the Crown Act, as far as I know, that's being put through the houses at the moment. And the House of Representatives said yes to it. But the Senate said no, so it's, it's in limbo at the moment. <laughs> right, so that what happens to many laws at the moment yeah. uh, in Washington. Uh, right, this is a, uh, Africa I want to go to next, or specifically the African Union. Uh, I didn't even know there was a trade in, in donkey skin. There is, and it relates to Chinese medicine, as oh. is quite often the case. Um, so apparently, and this is according to a, an NGO called the Donkey Sanctuary, demand for a certain traditional product. It's not even a medicine, really. It's more of a, a beauty cre- cream or stuff that goes into other products. It's mm. called Ejiao, okay? And apparently it gives you eternal youth and makes your skin lovely and plastically. But apparently but what it's really made from is donkey hides that are boiled and the gelatin then is extracted from that and it's put into these products. Right. But according to Chinese medicine, it's meant to be fabulous for you, okay? okay. But there's no uh, scientific truth uh, or scientific evidence in that at all. But anyway, the demand is there. And the demand has gone up uh, between 2013 and 2016 from 3,200 tonnes of the stuff to 5,600 tonnes, right? And this 
NGO, the Donkey Sanctuary, reckons that about 6 million donkey skins are required for the demand uh, that is uh, that they that they need in China in China for this particular product, yeah. right? So um, at the end of an African Union summit there just a f- last week, I think it was the African Union have decided to ban um, the skin or the the trade in donkey skin, so right. it's no longer allowed mm. now. Whether that'll stop it completely or whether it'll just go into the black market is another matter altogether. But um, hopefully it'll go a long way to safeguarding donkeys and, and the livelihoods that go with it, because it's not just the donkeys, it's obviously the people that use them. Yes. And, uh, and so it was, it was this causing the price of a donkey to go up? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, they were apparently harder to get. Uh, yeah. Now, I did look ah, into right. it because I was yeah. kind of thinking to myself, well, surely if there's a demand for this in Africa... Were they not breeding them specifically? Yeah. I don't see any evidence of donkey farms or anything like that. It seems to have been fairly, fairly random the way that it was done. So donkeys were stolen, sold off if you were too poor, and brought to these slaughterhouses, and then the, the hides were um, exported to ah, China. Right. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, India. We're going to go to next, and and I suppose this is uh, um, religious di- uh, differences brought to a whole new level. Yeah, absolutely yeah. bizarre. I mean, we've we've spoken a lot in the mm. last couple of years about India and the, the the differences between the religions there which seem to be um the tension seems to be rising to be honest with you, but this is a ridiculous story really. This involves two lions um who are sharing a zoo enclosure. One of them is named Akbar and the other one is named Sita. Now, Akbar is the name of a Mughal emperor, okay, who was alive from 1556 to 1605, mm. and during his reign, he controlled a lot of India, and because he was Mughal and Muslim, there are an awful lot of Hindu nationalists who don't really like him yeah. uh, or that name. Sita, on the other hand, is a Hindu goddess. So the concept for some Hindu nationalists that these two a lion and a lioness one with a Muslim name and one with a Hindu name is terrible for them. All yeah. right. So this organization, Vishwa Hindu Parishad, which is a prominent right-wing Hindu organization, which would have connections with Modi's BJP party, have come out and they lodged an actual legal plea on Friday the 16th calling for a name change of these particular lines. And the reason they've done that is because they say that it is an act that amounts to blasphemy and is a direct assault on the religious beliefs of all Hindus. They don't mention the religious belief okay. of Muslims. Right. Yes, of course. That's probably, they don't really care about that. Yeah. But anyway. uh, and uh, did these two lions arrive in this zoo together? Had they been living together before in another part of India so or elsewhere? Apparently they were part of some sort of a swap that was between two zoos and they had been living in another part of India together. Now, in a state nearby, I think. So they're in West Bengal at the moment. So I yeah. think they were in Tripura and they were transferred there the zoologist who was looking after them in the other state has been suspended because apparently he was the one who gave them the names. The names. Right. But I, I, I'm wondering how that happened. I mean, surely, I mean, well, did he do it on zoologist- purpose? Well, maybe, but maybe as a, as, as a kind of benign gesture rather absolutely. than to rile anybody up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but the, anyway, the hearing went ahead last week and at the hearing, the judge basically said it was a bad idea to name animals after deities, mythological f- figures or freedom fighters or Nobel laureates. I don't know why he threw that in there. Okay. And uh, he said that uh, 
he would recommend the names be changed. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, was that a legally enforceable recommendation? I think it might have been just a yeah. suggestion. Now, the zoo have come out straight away and said that they are no longer living in the same um, compound together, if that's what you call it. Ah, so, right. So they've okay, separated, they've separated them. them. Yeah. Yes. Lest yeah. they fall right. in love. And yeah. All, all hell breaks all loose. All hell. Uh, right. Okay. And Australia, we're going to go uh, to finally. And this is a story about uh, a show jumper in a mankini. And uh, not everyone's too keen about that. Yeah, so this is... Understandably. A, well, <laughs> well, uh, indeed. Well, this is a th- three-time Olympic medalist, a man by the name of Shane Rose, right? So he's won medals at the 2008, 2020 and 2016 Olympics. So he's quite well known in, in the, the horse, uh, in the show jumping arena. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but he was at this event in a place called Wallaby Hill. Can only be Australia. Yes. Um, and this was about t- 10 days ago. And at this particular event, riders were encouraged to actually wear fancy dress. Right, this is where I have a okay. massive problem with yeah. this. So he wore three separate costumes: a gorilla costume, a Duffman outfit, so Duffman from mm. The Simpsons, as you'll know, and a fluorescent orange mankini. So he went out in it, thought nothing of it. He got a bit of a laugh, but a complaint was lodged to the Equestrian Association of Australia, or Equestrian Australia, as they're called, and they were obliged to look into it. So he was stood down from competition. Now, they underlined that he wasn't suspended and there was no other sanctions. He wasn't fined or anything like that. And just while they were looking into what had happened. Yeah. The investigation went ahead fairly quickly and no further sanctions were taken. And he was allowed to now go ahead to probably try and qualify for the Olympics in Paris. But it did cause a bit of a fuss and it caused him quite a bit of stress, as you can imagine. I mean, yeah. he had to do the usual thing, go on Facebook and say, if my costume offended anybody, I'm truly sorry. But it was a fancy dress show. I mean, yeah. why, why are people so easily offended uh, by something like this? He was having a bit of a laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, if you're only wearing a mankini and you're riding a horse, that, that I, I imagine that's maybe a little uncomfortable. Uh, Probably So is. fair dues to him, <laughs> uh, I, I, I should say. Right, so what should we look out for over the next week or so? Jonathan? Yeah, a few things to look out for. Um, Alexei Navalny's widow, Yulia, is scheduled to dress the European Parliament tomorrow. Okay, um, yeah. I don't know why or what she's going to say. Well, I can imagine what she's going to say. But I, just, I think it's an interesting platform that she's been given there. Yeah. Particularly as you bear in mind the next day, Vladimir Putin is giving his annual speech to Parliament. Okay. Um, and we'll get an idea of what his intentions are, or maybe not. Uh, the same day then in the UK, the first report from an independent inquiry into the killing of Sarah Everard is due to be published. So you can you can take it that there'll be wall-to-wall coverage of that on Thursday and Friday yeah. and probably into the weekend as well. A horrific case. And then on the same day, uh, or sorry, on the 1st of March, there are elections in Iran and there's expected to be a very, very low turnout there. Oh, really? Why mm. so? Because people are just sick of, uh, the younger generation are sick of what's going on. So they're, 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 they suspect that not many people will turn up, yeah. although they're being encouraged to do so. Right, That's okay. the funny thing about Iran, actually, the elections usually go off there fairly they clean. Are, they from, seem from, to be fair, free and fair elections yeah, yeah. indeed. But, and I suppose those concerns would be more kind of cost of living concerns and that kind of thing rather yeah. than uh, uh, the wider geopolitical picture. Jonathan, thanks a million thanks, as sure. ever. Jonathan de Burke, a butler there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.